Before starting this podcast, we invite you to get a copy of our book, 31 Days to Purchasing and Renting Your First Investment Real Estate Property. You can find it on Amazon or any other major book selling platform. It has a unique book cover illustrating 31 doors to 31 days of your investment real estate journey. The book was written for you as a first-time investment real estate investor. What you can accomplish in 31 days will challenge and amaze you, and the return on your efforts will pay you dividends for life. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Franci, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm gonna invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong. Because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate. From the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my guest, I want to start always by first thanking you for listening in, for your support and the feedback that you provide us on the show, and to encourage you to send your comments, your suggestions, definitely your questions, all of it, directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at RainCanada.com. And if you're inclined, I'd really appreciate it if you were to share this show with your friends, your family, other people you know, perhaps even some people you don't know. Rate the show, comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thank you again for the feedback you provided, team and I. It is sincerely appreciated. Now, let's get this show started. I'm joined today by a veteran real estate investor and Ray member, a gentleman by the name of Rick Harris. Now, like many real estate investors, Rick didn't start there. Like most, he had what was a, you know, a great job. In Rick's case, he worked as the director of sales in the food industry, and he developed and honed many of his management skills while he was there and really just built a great career. And like most, his job supported and funded his start to real estate investing. Rick's interest in real estate grew out of his father's endeavors into real estate. After his father retired from the armed forces, he stepped into a world of real estate. He began a career as a real estate investor. Today, Rick is himself a full-time real estate investor. He's a coach for others who are on their journey of building their financial future investing in real estate. And Rick is what we would call an early adopter. He was one of those individuals that participated in the Real Estate Investment Advisor Program, the REIA program, early on. And he used what he learned as an REIA as one of his tools to support his vision for what's possible. Rick's got a very progressive view of life and 
continues to embrace any opportunities to expand his learning for real estate, his skills and abilities to contribute to the success of others. He writes a blog on a regular basis. He participates as a writer in Rain Life, and he is also a podcaster. So we're going to learn lots about Rick. And without any further delay, let's get this show started. Well, good day, Rick Harris. Welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Excited to have you on the show. Thank you, Patrick. I look forward to uh, to our interview. Okay, we're going to have some fun on this uh, this call. Now, you're a Rain member. You're a real estate investor. You are, I think, you epitomize the seemingly ordinary guy that has achieved extraordinary results. So. Really happy to have you on the show and dig into this conversation a little bit and talk about your journey, uh, where you're at today, how you got there, a little bit of uh, your past. Because I've always found that as we look into people's past of how part of their journey, what got them there, it really starts to make sense for the listeners is, gosh, you know, their life was like mine, or they have stories like mine, or they're just pretty normal people. And holy cow, look where he's at today. So if they can do it, I can right. do it. So my choice is to always start the conversations with what's your 30 second elevator pitch? Because your intro talks a lot about a lot of things, but what are you doing exactly today? What's your 30 minute elevator pitch? If somebody says, Rick, what are you doing? What do I do? You know, uh, today I, um, I'm actually looking after our portfolio, our investment portfolio. And uh, it, it comes in two forms because one's residential and one's vacation rental. So it, it uh, definitely has a different look to it, a different process uh, when you're going through vacation rental versus uh, residential rental. So that, that brought some differences for me in, my, uh, in what I'm doing now because I actually find that uh, I've almost ended up specializing and it's almost by default. And what I mean by that is as soon as people find out I have vacation rental, that's where they want to head. Most of the investors that I hang out with and that rain, most of them are residential uh, or commercial. And when somebody finds out, oh, you're actually having a vacation rental property that you're marketing, and I've, I've been doing it for over 16 years, that's where they want to head. And, uh, and the last two uh, couples that I've coached, uh, one last year and one currently right now, is they came to me through investment real estate, but they wanted to talk about vacation rental. And, and I've now helped both these couples purchase uh, vacation real estate. So um, quite interesting and actually a fascinating facet of the whole industry. Okay. So let just let's back up, slow the conversation down a little bit. So if I'm hearing you right, you're you've built your portfolio of residential vacation rental properties. So you're doing both the residential, you may still be buying, but at some time at some point you're spending a lot of time in acquisition doing the things that you were doing to build the portfolio. You've now built it, you're managing it, you're handling yourself. That's a full-time gig of what you're doing and you're also doing some coaching. And is that Correct. kind of recap all the things that you're in a nutshell, what you're doing these days? Well, thanks for asking. Uh, the big thing for me is actually the coaching side of it is where I, I want to head, but not in the traditional sense. I've uh, I've done a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching uh, over the times, including uh, our joint venture partners, and we have several joint venture partners. 
for me now, I'm trying to find a way to to give back, uh, you know, to the community in a bigger way. So I actually started. Uh, it was funny. It actually started uh, in May 2016. Went to when I went for my real estate investors advisor certification through Rain, and what it did is it actually opened up a door that I didn't realize realize was there. And what I mean by that is I had been writing a book. I had about 55 or 60,000 words written on, on how to uh, incorporate investment real estate into your portfolio, into your financial portfolio. But I had no idea how to bring a, a book to market. And in the last two years, that's led me to um, this opportunity to develop a website. Uh, I'm blogging twice a week now on investment real estate. And last week, I started my own podcast show. So that's where I really want to head is to a, to a broader audience and, and give back to the community in a, in a bigger way. Let's go back a little bit because I want to, and I'll circle back to this particular conversation. How long have you been a RAIN member now, Rick? Over 10 years. It would be uh, last October was 10 years. Last October was 10 years. I, yeah. Did we give you, the, did you get your award or are we doing that this year? Uh, we're doing that in June of this year. Yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. Now, you started out, you became a RAIN member 10 years ago. You're based in Edmonton or Calgary? I never remember. It, yeah, in St. Albert. In St. Albert. In, uh, in Edmonton. Yeah, in yeah. the Edmonton area. Yeah, yeah, just area. outside of Edmonton. Now, is that primary, primarily where you invest? Or have you, uh, I know you got vacation properties, but in the residential side of it, was Edmonton the area that you Yeah, uh, Edmonton, Red Deer, and Canmore. Okay. Now, Tell me a little bit about your, when you started as a RAIN member, what led you to real estate to begin with? What were you doing back even 10 years ago that led you to real estate? Oh, great question. You know, it's interesting. I had, um, Dawn talks about your Belize. I know you guys at RAIN talk about Belize, your Belize. We started with our Belize first, probably about 16 years ago and worked backwards. So uh, just a little different. We were at that time. I was uh, I was the director of sales for a major corporation, uh, uh, food manufacturer in Canada, and my wife and I were seeing all our friends. They were buying cottages or vacation homes in the United States or stuff like that, and we just thought, oh, well, maybe <laughs> maybe we should be getting in on on this. But we didn't really want to leave Canada. We uh, were. We're four season people, and so we wanted to. We wanted our vacation property to be somewhere that had all four seasons. And uh, I actually had to work uh, a mountain biking World Cup for the company I work for uh, down in Canmore, believe it or not, 1999. And I had never been to Canmore before. And I said to my wife, "Listen, I have to go work this." event and we're going to be handing out samples and we've got the promotional van there we're going to be doing all this did you want to come and she said sure and so we both went down and we just fell in love with canmore and we said to ourselves boy if we could ever buy a vacation property here and then put it into a rental program wouldn't that be cool and that was in 1999 so that's stuck in the back of our brains and then in 2002, we were uh, at the Home and Garden Show in Edmonton, and this developer had this huge model of these vacation rental condos. 
and right right in right in the thick of things in uh, downtown Camore, and they also had one of their marketing hooks was they had a vacation rental company that was attached to it. And so that's how we ended up buying our Belize. We were both working full time. My wife worked for Nintendo. And uh, so we just uh, bought this thing. And at the time, they were only guaranteeing you about 26 or 27% of your overall costs, like the revenue to costs. And we were both had great jobs. So we didn't have an issue with that. So we, we rented it through the, their, the developer's um, rental company, vacation rental company, and uh, away we went. And that's how we ended up with our Belize first. And then I've worked backwards from there. Then we started buying our uh, residential real estate from that point. Now, just for because we have listeners literally around the world, Kenmore, Alberta is outside of Calgary, Alberta, West of but what, what an hour, hour and a half? No, it wouldn't even be an hour and a half. It'd be about an hour, right? Oh no, it'd be about fifty minutes from um, west of Calgary yeah. and about uh, ten minutes uh, from the the gates of uh, of Banff National Park. Right. So beautiful mountainous area. Canmore is uh, certainly known for its uh, setting and uh, working environment because there's lots Absolutely. of commuters that work that live and work in uh, Canmore and work from their homes. You bet. And you know what, Patrick, in 1988, of course, they had the um, had the Winter Olympics in Calgary and Canmore was the recipient of the uh, they hold the biathlon uh, competition there. And that's the home of the of Canada's national team. And when the Olympics was in Vancouver in 2010, the federal government spent uh, 18 million dollars upgrading the facility in Canmore. And so the national biathlon team is still there and very active area uh just incredible and and last year they put in night lighting so you can actually uh you know do cross-country skiing snowshoeing all that out of that facility it's just spectacular do you still own the property in canmore oh absolutely i'm actually there the next two weeks in a row so one's for a golf vacation i usually kick off my golf season by going to canmore and then I also sit on the board of directors. So I'm going down the following week for a meeting at the complex that we own our property in. So you had a view of the world that you wanted to create for yourself, what you would call your Belize. In this case, it included a four-season property. And Canmore certainly qualifies in the four-season world. And lots to do you there and, and close to a lot of things, including a big city, including the mountains and skiing and golfing and all the stuff that you get to do out there. Now, when right. you... So you saw real estate as a way for you to achieve further results. So you bought the property in Canmore, and then how did you decide? Well, I'm going to start buying more real estate. Where was that? Or, you know, when and how did you come across Rain? So did the I want to buy more real estate epiphany come before Rain, or you saw Rain said this thing around real estate and and learning about real estate is really interesting. I'm going to join Rain and see what that's about. How did that go for you? A great question. And actually, it's a fairly simple answer. I was actually driving back from Canmore in 2005 and uh, stopped in at the Chapters uh, bookstore. Uh, to actually, stopped at, my wife and I love Starbucks. So we, we stopped in there. And they, of course, the Chapters had a Starbucks. And so we were just kind of walking around looking. And I we definitely had 
interest in building our portfolio beyond what we had in terms of, you know, we had our RRSPs, I had a company pension, uh, we had uh, investments outside of RRSPs, you know, and we're paying into CPP and OAS and all of that kind of good stuff. But real estate for me was one of those investments and probably the only investment I have that I truly get to control and have 100% of the say versus when you give your money to other people, including the government and, and, um, and other co- companies that are managing your funds, you notice I said they manage your funds. You don't get a chance to manage them. So they're making all the decisions. Now, you could sit on them every day, but that's not my style. I, I, you know, I like to give someone my money and then let them manage it, uh, and uh, hopefully they do a good job. But I also wanted something that I could actually take an active role in. And investment real estate seemed to be that answer. And when we stopped at the chapters, of course, as you know, Patrick, you get a ton of information coming up from over the border from the United States. And it's not very specific to Canada. And there's definitely different rules. So what I saw was this book that said, Real Estate Investing in Canada. And of course, that's the the book that Don wrote. It was the words in Canada that caught my attention. So I bought the book. And from that book, my wife and I bought two properties almost within, I think, two or three months. I And again, I didn't know anything about rain. I just knew about the author, Don Campbell, in this book. And that's how we got started in residential real estate. Now you focused on buy and hold real estate. Have you always remained in that kind of strategy or buy and hold? Or were you doing, did you ever venture off into fix and flip or selling some of the deals that you put together? How how did your portfolio get built? Was it primarily around buy and hold or or did you veer yeah, off? Yeah, primarily buy and hold. We were lucky because we started we started with my daughter in nineteen ninety-nine and we bought a we bought a joint venture with her. Uh, as a way to get her started in life. And um, we, we didn't hang on to that property, but buying it in 1999, real estate prices started to take off. And by the time she had met her partner and they had decided to buy that white picket house fence, she had built up quite a bit of equity. The, price in, uh, the prices had gone up considerably in Alberta during that time. And she was able to buy herself a, a beautiful home and we were able to take our equity and reinvest it into buying um, our first two pieces of property. So that wasn't the original strategy, but once I read Dawn's book and we had this uh, extra money, that's what we ended up doing. Now today, you manage, do you manage your own property? Or when you say you manage your portfolio, is that actually managing as in property managing your property? Or are you managing the manager of your property? Yeah, it's a two-pronged answer. From the residential real estate side, we have a property manager. And from the vacation rental side, I manage that property. When you go back in time and start to look at where you started, what were some of the challenges that you faced early on? Because you're a RAIN member and a number of RAIN members listen to this podcast, and there's some certainly some new members out there when you started with rain, what were some of the early challenges that you faced, Rick, that you can recall that 
may have gotten your way or had you second guessing your decisions or stopped you from moving forward for a period of time? Was there anything there that you can share? To be honest with you, no, it has to go backwards. So it, what, what stopped us from buying in the first place was just pure lack of knowledge uh, and education. So, I mean, this is why I've been a RAIN member for over 10 years. I just, I just feed off the education. And, uh, and that's what I love about RAIN. It's just, just incredible the amount of education that, that comes at us. And, uh, you know, it's just being able to focus that information and, and get yourself going. So, Rick, can I just, yeah, I want to interject there for a second because sure, I'm curious for you. You've been a RAIN member for 10 years. Yet you show up and you're at many, many meetings and I know you travel, so you're not at all of them, but how is it? Because I also have conversations with people that go, you know, I've been there 10 years. I got, you know, it's like, I know all this stuff. I've already, you know, what is it that you get out of the room? Because 10 years later, you're still saying, gosh, I love going to the room because there's so much to learn as opposed to somebody who's coming to the room, go been there, done that. I've heard this, talked to this guy before. What's the difference between what you garner from being in the room versus them? Do you think? Or, I don't know, maybe you don't even have an opinion on it. Oh, you know what? It's the energy. I just love the energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, it's, it, you know, the nice thing about rain is I, I, I've been to, I don't know how, how many acre programs now, but, you know, we're, we're, we're well into probably the getting up to 20, mid-20s, high-20s at least. And, you know, that's, that's just the acre programs. and it's the energy and i love the diversity that you guys that rain brings to the plate and sometimes i even miss people that go away for a while like you know you guys uh had relied on peter kinch for a, a long time and then and then he went away for a while and and uh and you know he's back uh from time to time and i love it those kind of people like i just get i just feed off the energy but you you guys always are bringing in new blood and they have a new story and, and I just feed off that energy. And I really like investment in real estate. I, I, I just find, like I said to you before, Patrick, it's one investment that you get to control mm-hmm. and we don't get to control very many investments in our life because you don't get to control your company pension. You don't get to control CPP or OAS or even your RS peace for the most part. You know, you just don't get to control it. Somebody else is is pulling all the switches and and uh that's why I love investment real estate and uh just getting all of the different um information. I'll, I'll give you a prime example. I'm I'm working on a blog right now. I'll publish it tomorrow and it's all about the mortgage cash account versus mortgage payment vacations. So what's the difference and what should you do as an investor? And right now in Alberta, you know, the, the economy is a little tough. It's still a little tough. I know everybody's saying, look at this. We got $70 oil. Well, guess what? I can tell you I'm in, uh, in three marketplaces and only one of those marketplaces right now in Alberta is really humming. The other ones are still trying to come back from, from where we were before. And, uh, when I looked at, what I needed to do to keep our our uh, properties current, because I I'm a big believer in keeping the properties fresh and looking good, but that takes money, and you know rents are down from the, where they were, 
And so you've got to look at different ways of doing that. So that's kind of cool. I'm looking at it and saying, okay, should I, should I have a mortgage that has a mortgage cash account component to it? Or should I have a mortgage that has a uh, vacation payment component to it? And if you read my blog tomorrow, I'll give you my spin on that. <laughs> What's your blog, by the way? My blog is called Vault to Investment Real Estate Success. And actually, so you go vault to investmentrealestatesuccess.com and you'll find lots of, um, lots of information uh, that I've experienced over the last 10 years with rain and 16 years purchasing properties. So you've been a rain member for 10 years. You come to the room. You still like the energy in the room. You still get lots out of it. You've actually evolved and you're now looking at how you can get back to the community. You took the REIA program, the Real Estate Investment Advisor program, which of course, as you know, we're really ramping up and we're really turning that into a whole new movement and setting a standard in the industry to set the education of investment focused experts apart in the world of real estate. And right. we're having a lot of fun doing that. Lots of great energy and, and, uh, people are really seeing it. I, it was interesting. I had a conversation with a guy totally unrelated in a different industry. He asked me, what are we doing these days? And I shared with him the REIA and the education, the certification program. And he said, it's about time that industry, the real estate industry needs something beyond I'm a great realtor beyond I'm a great mortgage broker. They need something that sets investor focused real estate individuals, you know, you know, apart so that there is a standard that gets set. So that's cool. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're a part of that program. And uh, in your coaching, Rick, as you work with people, is there any kind of trend that you're seeing? Or is there, I don't even want to call it a trend. Are you actually handholding people through a deal? Or are you coaching them through and supporting them through the, the mindset aspect of it? What is your approach to having people move forward as you coach them? You bet. You know what, Patrick, it's, it, it, there's two components to my answer. The, the first is when I started coaching people, it was because what I was doing is I was attracting joint venture partners who wanted to put the money in. They just didn't want to put anything else into it. So here's my money and you do everything else. And then if I need a question answered on investment real estate, I will then get a hold of you and ask you that question. So, you know, for years, I was just coaching for free, well, in essence, because, I mean, they were our joint venture partner. So it was my way of giving back to the partnership. But it was almost, it was almost a one-way street because they, they put in the, the money, but they didn't put anything else into it. I, I became the resource. And then when the REIA program came available, you know, in 2016, I, I got I've got my certification, but what it took me off into was a, a different direction because by that time, I, I really liked the vacation rental side of it. I was having a lot of fun with it. Uh, the market was rock solid versus re residential, and so now I would say to you that I like when people come to me from the um, from the vacation rental side of it, and uh, and. And most of those people have come to me through rain and it's different. I'm different. They, they see me as a different kind of coach 
because no one's specializing in this field uh, like I do. And uh, I take them right from uh, before the sale. I talk about it in three stages because I even talk about your, I call it team real. And I have, there's three stages. There's before the purchase and then there's the after purchase. And it takes a big team to keep you uh, in business. And it's, it's three different components. And so you might have some, some of your team not be active for a while. They go dormant because you may be in a, in the before purchase, uh, stage. Uh, so if you're not in that stage, of course, those people aren't in your life. And, uh, so that, that's just really helped me develop, um, my own brand of, of coaching. And, um, it's exciting. I think I, I bring a different thing to the party. It's uh, it's not a huge market, but then again, it allows me to do things like do my blogging, which is more more general on investment real estate, my podcasting, which is more general, but it's still around investment real estate. Where's your uh, vacation rentals? Are you within Canada? You're outside Canada? Are you? Is there an area that you so specialize ju- uh, in? Just in Canada, it's it's. I've had exposure through. Lots of my friends. I have uh, friends who I go visit in Palm Desert uh, and Palm Springs, uh, friends in Tampa, like in the Phoenix area, Florida. So, but that's never been a real attraction for us because I, I find those properties are not really an, uh, an investment. They tend to just be an additional cost in your life. And don't get me wrong, I mean, if that's what you want, uh, then I, I'd encourage you to buy that type of property, but just understand that it, it's, it's more of an expense to your overall financial portfolio. It certainly doesn't generate, uh, much in terms of revenue because most people, when they want to enjoy it is when people would pay the top dollar to rent it. And the other thing is I always say to people, the problem with most of those areas, whether it's Florida, uh, Palm Desert, Phoenix, they tend to get hot. And then down there, just like we tend to get cold in the winter. And then what happens is nobody nobody rents them. So really, they end up being a one or a two season property, not a four season property. Like if you bought in Whistler or Canmore, what you need to look at, and that's what I try and coach people in, is look for a four seasons, four services area if you really want to maximize a vacation rental property. So does that mean that you're looking, are you supporting your clients around investing in Canmore or Whistler as an example? Is that, are those two areas in Canada that you're focused on? Or Yeah, I would, I, I'd encourage them to purchase in a four seasons, four services area. And what I mean by services is you need the services to support the season. Sure. And that's the that's the first sign, Patrick. So you know what? You might find a Four Seasons area, let's say Muskoka in, uh, in up in the Cardish country in Ontario. Problem is, if you if you go there, it's really a one or a two season uh, area to buy a vacation rental property because it just doesn't have the services to support it. Not like an area like Banff or Whistler or Canmore where, you know, you've got you've got activities and services that are uh, that are there 
365, 24-7. Yeah, exactly. Cool. That's a, an interesting strategy. So when we go to where you are today, you had a job, you were working for somebody. Did you transition out of that job? Did you leave that job? It sounds like you did. You're not doing the director of sales job anymore. What did you? You know what? <laughs> great, great question. Because the biggest thing for me is I was very fortunate. The company I was with, I was with for a long time, uh, almost 30 years. And that really put me in a great financial position from a pension standpoint. And even though I was relatively young, my services came to an end, my job, the position, there was four positions like mine in Canada, and there was a change in upper management, and they, my position disappeared. Got it. I, and, but I was very fortunate because I had, I had all the infrastructure in place financially that it, it wasn't really that big of a deal. You know, I love my job. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. So, uh, but what was neat is I had investment real estate to, to back me up. And I was, I've been doing it long enough that it allowed me to make choices. Uh, and my, and it was kind of cool too. Well, not cool. And my parents were getting older and they were having health issues. And so it worked out well that way. I, I always say things happen for a reason. I was able to help my mom and dad with their quality of life uh, later in their life. And um, just to be in that position was uh, kind of a neat thing. And I know Don talks about his dad, Don Campbell talks about his dad and how real estate allowed him to do the same thing. And, and that's what I never thought I would be in that position, but I ended up in that position and it's, it's really worked out well from that standpoint for my family. So when you lost your job, what year was that? 2012. 2012. So then you would kind of had your entrepreneurial accident, which was you could go find another job or you could take on real estate in a more meaningful way. And all of a sudden you find yourself working for yourself. Did, did that come naturally? Was that the first choice or did you really have to debate? Do I go back and, you know, put my resume in other corporations inbox or was the, was it really automatic? I'm just going to do this real estate thing on a full-time basis and sink my teeth into it even deeper. You know what? I'll tell you what happened. And again, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I'm definitely sharing some, some intimate things, but I had, when I left the company, there was an arrangement that I had to live with and it, it uh, put me in a position where I had to look at my own way of being resourceful to keep everything in place that was offered to me. Being forced into that situation, it got me looking at investment real estate like I had never looked at it before. So it, it turned out to be uh, a really a very positive thing in the end. It, it wasn't something I was thinking because I, I, I talk to everybody I coach, I always tell them, make sure you keep your day job. Uh, I've seen too many rain, even rain members who have, exited their full-time employment too early and it's hurt their overall uh, portfolio and um and uh, you know i've i've seen it that's you know when you're around uh, people for you know through the rain organization long enough you realize i get to i get to see these people and some of them come and some of them go and i always wonder oh that person was really successful and all of a sudden they're gone and why was that I find most of the time they exit too early from their day job or their career, thinking that there's a 
there's a, a bundle of money to be made monthly uh, through investment real estate. And that's not always the case. So you lost your job, you're into that world. How are you feeling that at that time? Are you, did it shut you down for a little bit? Did you kind of go, man, this is heavy. What do I do? Interesting. No, no, actually, you know what? I felt pretty confident. I, uh, I've been building an infrastructure in investment real estate and the joint venture aspect of it. And, you know, I had, I had actually bought a couple of properties where I was actually the consultant to the, so our, I, I created equity for myself in the purchase through my expertise and I knew I could do that again. I could duplicate that again. And I, you know, so probably about 40% of our portfolio I created from putting in my expertise, not putting in any cash. And so I always felt confident that I could, I could recreate that model at any time. I often talk to RAIN members that are in relationship with their significant others, you know, wife, husband, life partner, whatever that situation might be. And they're not necessarily on the same page and or active together in their real estate or their business. In your case, how active is your wife with you in your real estate investing? Not really active. Now, she's come to a couple of rank functions where she's not active. My children have filled that void. So uh, our children are some of our joint venture partners. And actually, my my daughter just got a real estate license and and is, has taken on uh, real estate as a career. And uh, so real estate seems to to run in the blood for the for you know for for the next generation for us too. And I, I'm really happy about that because my children will be financially in a in a much uh, healthier place than most people of their age when you know when they get in their fifties and sixties. They'll have several properties that'll be paid off and that will give them access to, you know, finances that most people don't get the luxury of having in their life. So what I'm hearing in all of that is that although your wife's not active in the day-to-day working of the real estate, your guys are aligned and she's certainly supportive of that whole uh, methodology of creating your future is through real estate, supporting the kids through it as well. So she's at, at, at least at the very least a significant cheerleader for you and the kids in going forward with the real estate. Yeah. And she's a joint venture partner and we sit down and go over the, uh, you know, I do a monthly statement. So we certainly review the statements all the time. And, and so she's active that way. She's just not active in the sense of coming out and, you know, in the beginning, she came out uh, probably in the first three or four properties we purchased. She was actively involved, but it, it just what it wasn't her cup of tea. Sure, she wasn't opposed to it. It just wasn't her cup of tea. Sure, understood. You know, my wife Stephanie, uh, that I talk about a lot, she's not really active in my real estate at all. I mean, she certainly knows what's going on, and she we have conversations about it, but. She's got a, her whole career, her whole business, you know, she's got a life outside of that and, you know, she'll write a check or support whatever I'm doing, but she's certainly not in it day to day. I think the the point that through all of this is that I found is that it's not so much that 
your significant other is actually actively operating in, in whatever you're doing. It's more a case of I'm on side, you know, I'm, I'm with you along this. And if you want to take the journey, I'm beside you and behind you and, you know, go crazy. And and I'm going to support that where I see the misalignment is the significant other that goes on the journey and their spouse is saying, I don't think this is the right way. I don't think this is the right thing to right. do. So that's where the and just so you know, Patrick. Oh, sorry. I, I was going to mention. I I'm now at the point where, like, I do I do an interview with potential clients, and I'll tell you right away that you know I'm at the point in my life where I w- I won't even take on coaching someone if I get the sense that it's only a a one partner relationship where where that one partner is pushing the other partner and and there is no interest at all in making this investment it's just too hard when you're dealing with people's money and and trying to build their future and half you know 50% of the relationship is not even going in that direction yeah and i think that's such an important point that you hit on rick because especially in the world of raising capital for joint ventures, co-ventures. Ultimately, for those of you who are raising capital for the first time, just know that this is really a partnership. And partnerships can go south for a number of reasons. One of them can be divorced. One of them can be that you've lost a job. And you certainly don't want to be in a situation where a couple is totally misaligned with where they're investing capital because that can really come back around to cause some real challenges in the co-venture because somebody wants out and they want out because their partner is saying, I don't want to do this anymore. This is too scary. This is too risky, whatever their feeling is around it. So I think, you know, I think your strategy of saying, I'm going to meet with the couple and make sure they're both aligned on this decision. I think that's just really smart. Like I'm sure you've seen it's, it's, it can come unraveled pretty fast when a couple isn't, like we're talking real life here, and that's one of the things that you were you were mentioning. We want to get some real life examples, and you know what? Uh, both my children's relationships one was a one was a they never got married, but they owned uh, a home together. That uh, relationship dissolved. We still have that partner as a partner in two of our joint venture uh, properties. He has informed us when the Alberta economy improves, he would like to exit. So that's real life. And last year or the year before, uh, my son got divorced and we were joint ventures in two properties, or actually three properties with uh, with my son and, and his uh, ex-wife. And that, that was real life again. Uh, now, fortunately for us, we have joint venture, believe it or not, we have joint venture agreements in place. And I have to tell people, no matter how much you love your your children and and their spouses or partners, it's important that there's a joint venture agreement in place every time you enter into a uh, into a uh, investment real estate venture with uh, with your family. And anyone who thinks that they should they don't need that. They're mistaken. There's real life out there nowadays, and uh, and relationships like my mom and dad were married for over sixty two years. Uh, we don't see very many of those things happening anymore. So um, just understand that's real life. 
real life. Gosh, you know, we're, we can talk real life in the world of real estate investing. We're at the effect of politics and governments and policies and banking. You know, as we go through what's going on in the mortgage industry, what are you telling people that say, you know, I can't find a deal. I can't find a deal at cash flows. I can't get financing. How are you responding to those kinds of conversations these days, Rick? You know what, especially with vacation rental, I have to tell you that story too, because I, I don't want to mislead people. Uh, certainly the rules have changed uh, from when I first, uh, we first bought our first vacation uh, rental property. At that time, we, we went and just got a conventional mortgage. It was uh, no fuss, no muss. And, uh, and, the, and the bank was happy to lend us the money. Now, I can tell you that I worked with a couple from Ontario uh, who bought in Canmore. And luckily for them, they own their own business. They could not get conventional mortgage funds. And so they actually uh, funded the, themselves through their business. The other couple that I'm working with right now, uh, they just purchased. Now they're they're from uh, they're from Alberta, and they they bought in Canmore. They had to go to uh, Patrick, as you know. They, there's uh, mortgage brokers. They went to a short term lender, so that lender uh, lent lent them money at a higher interest rate than conventional, and only for a one year term. And what what they're uh, their strategy is to build a um, to build a financial income statement that shows how the property is is taking in revenue. They're following my advice, and the model that I work with now, uh, generally, we're showing um, about two and a half times the revenue that you would get from a traditional uh, property. You know, if you rented it month month to month over a one year lease, and the other thing is, we're definitely with that type of revenue covering all the costs, and you're actually showing a uh, a positive cash flow, um, including principal pay down. And this year, <laughs> I just about had a bird because I uh, last year my wife and I took some of our revenue and uh, and renovated part of our our uh, vacation rental property this year we didn't do that or last year we didn't do that and our income tax bill was considerably higher <laughs> than it was the year before so it, it's kind of a lesson too uh we, we have to pay attention to that all the time and that's advice i would give to people too so there's real life <laughs> that the, the tax man cometh this for darn sure you know we have to always uh, yeah. remember to uh, peel off a little bit of that profit and uh put it to the side to pay the tax bill the uh inevitable tax <laughs> bill that comes with there's it there's no doubt about it it's funny even the most experienced <laughs> people can forget that you know uh and and i've i've heard those stories before i was kind of always trained in you know that's the first thing that I've always done on profit is I, I always look at that chunk of change and go, okay, well, I'm just going to peel off 20% or 40% or whatever that might be in that case and just put it over right. there because it doesn't hurt as bad. It, it still hurts, but it's not quite yes. as bad. Well, you know what? And that, like I said to you, when you, when you look at, uh, at, the, at the year before and you forget that you made this huge investment into renovations and that you got to write that off and then all of a sudden, the year goes by so quickly and you're going, oh my goodness. 
So along the way, I mean, 16 years of investing in real estate, 10 years as a RAIN member, I mean, it's certainly without doubt that you've run across some challenges. And as an REIA, as a coach, as somebody that's you know mature and has been through some tough times, how conscious of you are, are you of mindset? What kind of work do you do around, how do you get through those challenges? Is it, you know, have you done a lot of personal, professional development, personal discovery? Have you really taken the time to say, gosh, when a challenge comes up, what is your reaction to it? How do you handle those challenges? Yeah, it's preparation. You know, it's, uh, it's just being ready. So that's what I was talking to you about is that and that, and that's where I'm trying to help people is make them more aware through knowledge is when you when you first get into uh, making uh, your first purchase of investment real estate you ne- you really need to look at all the aspects including the mortgage and like I said to you you know you, you need to think about the mortgage cash account or a payment vacation because at the end of the day at some point let's things are, things are going really well and you know We've owned a lot of these properties since 2005, but we, we bought some of them in 2008. And, and then later, you know, you think about it is that when they become vacant or you have or you're taking in less revenue than you had before uh, from maybe when the, when the economy was better, how do you offset that? So that that's part of where I think you need to have your mindset is always looking at you know, it's the old Boy Scout motto, be prepared. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. So if you're prepared, Patrick, guess what? These things don't um, set you off in a negative way. You're able to react to them because you've set a plan in place that you know you have funds to help you uh, offset some, you know, something that is a downturn in the economy or you have a vacancy that, that's lingering, you know. Those are the type of things that I try and do, but that comes through experience. Uh, you know, when you're at it for long enough, that's going to come through experience. Now, the other thing is, I mean, I've spent, uh, if you talk to most people that have talked to me, you know, I'm a very positive individual. I think that was, that's just built into my uh, DNA. You know, I'm very passionate about a lot of things that I do, and uh, that's just part of my DNA. And, and uh, so I, I, Feed that DNA through reading. I, I read at least one book a week, and I can tell you, it's, they're always they're either business or motivational. I'm not a guy who reads a, uh, a mystery novel too often. So, really, what I'm hearing from you is that part of what you get through is it, or gets you through those tough times is preparation, which is risk mitigation, uh, acknowledging that there is going to inevitably be a vacancy. Prepare for it. Don't cross your fingers. Yes. Don't don't buy the property, get a tenant in there, and just cross your fingers that it's never going to be empty. Ultimately, what's going to happen is there's going to be a vacancy and be prepared for that vacancy. In your case, I think you make a really good point. And I try and always, you know, I, I often will make this point from the stage, which is cash flow management is everything. Cash is, you know, king, as they say. But always having that reserve fund, at sleep at night fund, I don't know how much right. more we can stress that. But it's still a it's still prevalent where people will push their cash to the very limits, and then they have no breathing room for the inevitable, gosh, disaster. And and I mean, a vacancy is not a disaster. 
Having said that, you know, you have a flood or you have a, a, a unexpected maintenance bill that shows up, your furnace, you know, crashes. Guess what? You know, that could be six, seven grand out of your pocket and you need to right. be prepared for that. So, yes. you know, along the way. So in your world, preparation is and, and handling and dealing with the stresses of that is also making sure that risk mitigation is really clear. And you know what, Patrick, have, have flexibility. Like, you know what, uh, with our joint venture partners, you know, I've said to them, you know, let's deal with lenders who allow you to change your payments back and forth. And it's kind of nice because nowadays with technology, you can go in and adjust your payment online. You can do it 365, 24-7. Uh, no, no, one's, uh, no one's restricting you from doing that. And so we had a couple of properties that were um, really had top positive cash flow. Like it was just awesome. And so I said to my uh, partners, I said, let's just take our payments up as high as we possibly can, leave a little contingency, but let's take our payments up as high as we can and pay these things down quicker. Because we had a 30, 30 uh, year amortization. And um, so we did that. But you know what? We did it. And the, and the heyday lasted for about 18 months in Alberta when we first bought them. And then, then all of a sudden, uh, the economy got tighter, the rents got tighter and lower. You know, we had to take our rents down. Well, we had flexibility. So, so we, we took as, our payments as high as we possibly could in the good times. And then guess what? When After 18 months, we took our payments down to the lowest point we possibly could on the same properties. And that's all I'm, I'm challenging people to do. If, if you're hands-on and you're watching it and understand that you can pretty well do that at, a, at the snap of your fingers. So, Because I think people get the sense that you know I'm locked into a five-year term or a three-year term and I, I can't do anything. Uh, that's the furthest thing from the truth. You just have to be on top of your business. And, and you've got that flexibility to manage, the, manage your portfolio. How important is your relationship with a mortgage broker? Do you have a mortgage broker that you have a relationship with that you go to or that you seek advice from? Do you have a kind of a go-to? Like your team that you've built over the past 10 years, are they pretty static or or how do you work in that world of building a team? Yeah, I be, we've been fortunate that way. You know, I, I deal with two two major banks and I, I deal with them in in uh, different ways. I have a I have a mortgage broker that we deal with with one bank and then um, the other bank, we've just kind of had a good relationship and it's, and it's worked out fine. But I, I do work with other mortgage brokers now because I encourage people to talk to mortgage brokers and to use them if they can. So I'm, I'm actually coaching people with a team of mortgage brokers that I know personally and recommend them. You know, if, if it doesn't work for them, like that's not a problem. I, I'm not. I'm not taking any type of compensation by recommending someone. Again, I'm. I, I just working with a, with a, a couple that I had recommended a, a broker. They went a different route, and then I recommended a different couple to the same broker, and and they used that broker. So you know what? You just never know. So for you though you work with, uh, you consistently work with a couple of brokers that you've gotten to know that you can trust and seek guidance from them. Yes. Are you in that same world with a realtor? Cause we talk a lot about building a team and 
Do you have realtors that you've gotten to know over the years that you can trust to deliver what you want? And you nurture those relationships. How do you work with your realtors in that regard? Great, great question. You know, I talk about this in the book that I'm, I'm writing. <laughs> and, and actually, I submitted it to a publisher. And it's interesting. I talk about Team Real. And I think I mentioned that earlier. And I call it uh, Real Estate Advisory League. So it's almost like superheroes. Sure. And, and that's what you need. You need your superhero team with you. And it's critical. The one thing that I try and do as much as I possibly can, and this is what I advise people to do. And listen, I didn't always do this because I, I, you know, I, when I first started out, I there was a lot of things I didn't know. But one thing I advise anyone now is I say to them, make sure whether it's a realtor, an accountant, uh, a lawyer, all of those professionals. Ask them if they own investment real estate. If they don't, I recommend you go look for someone who does. Uh, you know, if they don't have it in their blood, I just don't know how they can give you good advice if they have no experience at it. And, you know, let's face it, uh, Patrick, I think it's f- only 4% of Canadians own investment real estate. It's a, it's a very low number. So you've got to figure mo- a lot of those people who are are uh, lending you money, uh, you know, helping you with your accounting or whatever. Most of those people don't own investment real estate. So you need to do a little homework and need to really look around and find those people because they're just few and far between. So that would be my first recommendation. So through all of this, once again, we go back 16 years as a real estate investor, 10 years as a RAIN member, you know, that speaks to perseverance. and. How do you stay focused in saying this is you know the direction I want to want to go in spite of you know a downturn in an economy in spite of things not always going the way you want to go? Is it part of your DNA just to persevere, or is that something that you're really thoughtful around? Because I I see often where entrepreneurs, real estate investors, you know, in the moment it seems like a shiny thing and they chase it, and then a year later or two years later it's like it's fallen off you know, the rose has fallen off, you know, and it's not all that they thought it was going to be. So they go off in a different direction. So how have you managed to persevere? Obligation. And what I mean by that is I've taken on personal responsibility with the joint venture partners. Like I do all the income statements and that might sound like a horrendous job, but actually the thing I love about investment real estate and I, I talk about this all the time I, I i you know if you read my blogs on my website i talk about you're running a small business and you're an entrepreneur and the cool thing about that is that if you look at a lot of businesses whether they're small businesses or not patrick the amount of lines like if you look at a cost of goods line for example and you look at what makes up your cost of goods. Let's say you own a restaurant uh, or you own, a, I think you're, you, were, you were involved or still involved in, in your skate uh, business. Pro skate, you know, yeah. You pro skate. Think of, all, think of all the things that go into the cost of goods line. Yeah. Well, when you look at real estate, you know, the thing I love, people say to me, Rick, how, could you, how can you do all these income statements all the time? You know how long, it must take you forever, and I say no. With online banking, 
And if you look at a basic a real estate revenue statement, Patrick, I mean, there's an income line. There might be a refund line or, uh, or something like that. But for the most part, there's only two lines on your income line. And then when you get to your, uh, uh, your expense line, well, in your expense line, there might be five or six items. Because for the most part, as a, as a real estate investor, you're not paying for the cable. You're not paying for the, the power. You're not. So all of those incidental lines that people see in their own home, well, those aren't reflecting in your, in your rental property because the tenant is taking on those obligations. So when you look at it, you've only got five or six things that you're actually putting into your expense side. And then you add your mortgage plus interest. And guess what? We just did a, a, a complete financial statement. And if you have it uh, tied into, like I do, with a spreadsheet that gives you the year-to-date number too, it might take me 10, 12 minutes to do an income statement on each and every property. Uh, pretty cool. When you think about it, if you're, running this, you're running this small business. And if you looked at it from a revenue side, if you had a, like a restaurant or anything that has a heavy cost of goods element to it, oh, you're spending hours. You're probably hiring somebody to do your financial statement because it's just too complicated. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not an accounting person. I understand it quite well, but I'm not interested in it. So bookkeepers and accountants are a big part of, uh, of my business world. When you look at the time and energy you put into your real estate, do you ever... Are you making decisions in how you build your team or how you farm stuff out? So in other words, you're, you, you persevere, you get through it, you uh, have an obligation, you're putting financial statements together for your joint pen, venture partners. Do you ever sit back and say, where's my time best spent? Have you got that dialed in? Because often we see investors and business owners doing things that they're not good at, but they feel obligated to do it or they don't know how to farm it out or they don't think that investing in hiring that service out is the best investment of, or the, an investment they can make. So I guess the question that I'm asking you is this many years in, were you pretty aware and have you got dialed in pretty well, what you're good at and where your time is best spent, where you get the best return on investment of your time? Absolutely. From an accounting standpoint, just understand that the way I have it set up, I, I, I actually worked it out with my accountant. So what we've tried to do is come up with a balance of there's a certain cost element for him to do it. There's a certain cost element for me to do it. Where's the happy medium? So you need to do that with, with your accounting team for sure. You know, I know a lot of people use a, a bookkeeper. I don't use a bookkeeper because I just find that there's just not that many lines to control. And you know what, Patrick, the one thing I've become good at, and I, I recommend everyone do this, is for each property or with, or with each group of, of uh, joint venture partners where you own multiple properties, make sure you uh, keep the banking separate and you put everything through the bank account. Therefore, you're not transferring funds or paying cash or whatever. Nowadays, you can get a debit card for any bank account. And uh, nowadays, what's incredible is e-transfer and the whole electronic banking, you can keep everything under control. So you can keep those 
five or six items on your on your bank statement and it's very visible so it's easy to do so i don't do my own uh legal work i have a lawyer you know and like i said so i've just tried to minimize as much as possible what i'm not good at for sure and you know what my focus has changed too over the years because i i would like to reach a greater audience uh, just as you do through your your podcast show, you're you're not only reaching Rain members, but you're reaching a much diverse. You're reaching global. If you have a passion for something, why not reach a global audience and share it? In the world of Rain, because you've been a member for a while, you're you tap into it. You know, I like to talk about and point out that we have a collective intelligence. You know, we have a collective experience. We see individual, I'll use the term gurus or individuals who got it handled. They, you know, they're, 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 but they're the ones they're, they become a one source. You know, one of the things that Don over the years with rain, as much as he is a expert in the world of real estate investing and research, you know, he certainly tapped into the collective intelligence and collective experience of the rain members. And, and I mean, it's so diverse the depth of experience and knowledge is just remarkable. You know, you've been using you as an example in the world of vacation. Gosh, you know, vacation rentals, what an interesting concept. I wonder if that's something I want to go to. Well, then all of a sudden there's somebody to tap into there, you know, multifamily, commercial, all of that kind of thing. Over the years, have you really this will sound like a, a plug for rain, and it actually is a little bit. It's it's not so much a plug for rain as it is to encourage rain listeners to tap into that collective experience. Did you, did you find that you, through conversation, were you actually tapping into the knowledge of others in that regard, Rick? Did you use the membership a lot that way? Absolutely. And you know what? I don't shy away from my rain membership. I, I wear that badge, uh, like a badge of honor. And what I mean by that, Patrick, if you go to my website, you know, a lot of people saying, well, why don't I just go to the rain website? Well, you could, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. I, I'm saying you should. I'd encourage you to go to the Rain website. And, and Patrick, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but I think I've written, I've had seven articles published uh, this year and last year in in Rain Life. Sure. I've I've, be, I've become quite a a big contributor to the Rain Life magazine. And in the May issue, I wrote uh, a profile article and I wrote a Ask the Expert article. And, uh, and I'm constantly submitting uh, ideas that I, I think can help uh, rain. And if, if you go to my website and you go to the media tab and then you go to articles, I mean, I have a link to the rain website right there. So I, I encourage you to read my article that I wrote for rain life. But I, I also encourage you to just click on the, on the rain uh, Canada uh, link and go to the website. Now, why? Because I don't profess to be an expert on all things investment real estate, but I am carving out my own niche and where I think I can help people. And, and one is vacation rentals for sure. The other area is over the years I've developed a, when I first started with Rain, I, I wanted to buy as many properties as I could. I just wanted to just, just buy, you know, and uh, it, it took me probably five or six years <laughs> to realize that you know you just can't build your whole uh, port 
portfolio, your financial portfolio or your real estate portfolio over just, just, just buy. Uh, you know, it, it, there's more to life than that. And you have to think about what's your end strategy? Like, what's your strategy for all of this? Why are you doing it? So you need and a plan. You need, what you're saying is you need a plan and you need an exit strategy. What you part do. of the plan? Yes. Absolutely. And now, you know what? I My niche now, even though I have more a lot more properties than this, my goal is to actually work backwards from where I am now. I think personally, I, I call it the four-door uh, strategy. I personally believe that, and my goal is to have as many people that I can influence to buy four doors, okay? Not three, not five, four. Now, I mean, if they want to buy more than four doors, I'm going to send them the rain. But if they want to buy four doors, come and see me or come and talk to me. Because my whole philosophy is I believe that if you have four doors, two for yourself, one for your family, and one for the community, you can leave this world. You'll leave a, a lasting impression that, that'll live long after you're on this world. And you can do it with four doors. And that's and so someday, uh, off in the future, maybe three to five years, that's my goal is to actually go backwards and, and live my philosophy that I'm now uh, trying to get millennials and, well, anyone who wants to listen to me is to actually buy four doors. And that's, that's where I'm headed. That's great. So as we start to wind the show down, Rick, if there was some... Um profound advice you know if there was one two three points that you would want listeners to hear around investing in real estate around business do you have some of those points do you have some things that gosh you know people need to think about this do that i suggest this is, is does that come to mind for you absolutely i talk i talk to uh people that i coach all the time about a formula that i have i call it ready set goal it's really three stages and uh, right now I'm working with a, a millennial and on my podcast show, actually it, it launched today. I have a segment called uh, on the move with Alex and Alex is a millennial and he just graduated uh, college at the end of April, just got his first full-time job. And I've been working with Alex for about a year and we've been in the ready stage. So just getting Alex ready, including mindset, and where where is he going to to go? And we knew that until he graduated, until he had a full time job, we would be in the ready stage. And now we're going to meet uh, next week. We're now to we're going to move him into the set stage, and that's that's get now he's got full time income. Now he's got his degree. He saved up his down payment funds, and we've already identified the type of property that we want to put him into. So now we're getting into the set stage where we're going to start actually physically introducing him to his team, you know, a realtor, an accountant, a lawyer, all of those type of things that are going on. So that, that would be my first piece of advice is, is getting yourself in that mindset, which I call the ready. The set is then getting your team together, which we talked about earlier. And then the last one is the goal is actually, you know what? And that's where Patrick, you probably see it all the time is people, they, they're getting themselves ready. They're getting themselves set. But the thing that they fail to do 
is take action and buy that first piece of real estate. Isn't that and, true? And um, yes. And so that, that, that would be my first uh, piece of advice. The other thing is, uh, I mentioned it earlier, I, I really believe that you can leave a lasting impression on this world long after you leave by just owning four properties and two of them for yourself and one for your family and one for the community. The neat thing about it, Patrick, is how you pay these properties off and how they they uh, create a return is in stages because your life is in, is in stages. You might start out single, then you get married, then you have a family, and then you've got aging parents and you've got uh, children going into all kinds of activities. So your life is in stages. And, and that's what I talk about with the four doors is that can be in stages too. You know, you might save the community door closer to the end of your, well, I don't want to call it the end of your life, but maybe towards the end of your working life, uh, where that door then becomes your, um, you manage that as giving back to the community. And, and by that time, maybe there's enough funds coming in monthly that, you know, you get, you kind of get to manage that money and give back to the community, but that could come later in your life. And then for your family, if you think about it, uh, if you have a family door, it's generally around education of your children or maybe activities. But if you start early enough, by the time your, your children maybe get to that college or university age, you've paid this property off. It's now helping you fund their education. And it's taken a whole bunch of pressure off of you. Sure. And that's all part of setting the plan, having your plan. So ready, set, goal, uh, having a real intentional, pragmatic approach to where you're going, working backwards from an outcome, all really solid advice. You talked a little bit about the ready and preparing for mindset. How do you prepare for mindset? Is there, is there, what are you reading these days? Can you, is there some book recommendations that you have? Is there some go-to books that uh, you've used in the past? Oh, uh, gr great question. Yes. R well, right now I'm reading a lot of books on uh, podcasting and blogging. <laughs> sure. Because I, I want to develop uh, some expertise. Uh, there, you know what? Nothing really happens until you get started, though. And uh, that's the only thing is I, I had, you know, I wanted to start my podcast last September, but analysis paralysis and trying to find the right audio really just froze me in my tracks. And I have to tell you, the only thing you can do is do just do it. And then, and, and you know what, I was getting all that advice. I just wasn't doing it. So, you know, like I was like a deer in headlights. I just was, it was crazy. But now, you know what, I, uh, two weeks ago, I, uh, I pulled, pulled the pin, uh, and you know what, if my auto audio isn't perfect or whatever, and it takes me a while to build an audience, so be it. But now, you know what, I know every time I do a podcast show, I'm going to get better. Maybe, maybe it's only a, a point of a percentage better, but I know I'm going to get better. And, um, and that's the, the way you have to look at it. Even my blogging, Patrick, when I first started, I wasn't sure how many readers I'd get, but I can tell you, I mean, I've gone from, from crickets, you know, reading my, my blog, you know, some, sometimes now I'm getting 250 to 300 people reading my posts. And that's over a, I started November 21st of last year. So, you know what? I'm excited about that. I'm, I'm seeing some movement. So, um, 
that's come from reading um, books on podcasting and and uh, and blogging. Other books, I probably read them all. Uh, you know, like I, I, you know, I know this is a, a a go-to one that people talk about all the time. But Rich Dad Poor Dad for sure. Uh, I certainly recommend Don Campbell's book, uh, Real Estate Investing in Canada. But you know, I'll tell you the books that have had the most impact are the ones I give away as gifts. Sure. And there's three books that I give away as gifts all the time. The first one is called The One Minute Salesperson. It's probably about a 20-minute read or a half an hour read. It's by uh, Spencer Johnson and Larry Wilson. It's, it's been around for a long time, but what a great book. Uh, and I give that one away all the time. Uh, the other one I love is The Law of Attraction by uh, Michael Lozier. Yes. I think he was actually even came out to a RAIN uh, meeting. Great book. It's again, uh, it's it's nice. It's uh, it's simple, but it can have a hell of an impact. And and of course, Dawn's book. I I won't tell you how many copies I've bought of Dawn's book and given away to other people. So, ask somebody if they what what are the, what book did they purchase, read, and then give a give away as gifts. That's that that's the real question. So we'll do some rapid fire as we wrap up the the show. Rick, you ready for this? Absolutely. Okay, pal. What's your favorite swear word? Shit. What's your favorite quote? Do you have one? I do. I actually, uh, I think Albert Einstein got the uh, credit for this. It's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Yeah, definition of insanity. What profession other than what you're doing right now would you like to try? Well, you're trying podcasting, so aside from that. I'd like to actually, uh, and, and hey, listen, I think I'm going to live a long life. So I'd like to be a movie producer and director. Nice. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you hit the gates? Your mom and dad have been waiting for you. Awesome. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? Well, I, I, I don't think I'm that weird. I'm going to say five. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> what are you just not very good at? Like, what are those things that you just go, gosh, you know? You know what? If it's generational, it skipped me. Uh, my dad was an incredibly mechanical guy. Like, you know what, Patrick, if your car broke down at the side of the road, he'd fix it. He'd get you back running. If, if, you, if, your, if your cupboards fell off the wall in your kitchen, he'd fix it. I mean, he was incredible. That skipped me and went right to my son. Okay. <laughs> That's great. Honest to goodness. Okay. So don't don't give me a hammer or don't give me a screwdriver because I don't know what to do with them. Your room, your desk, your car. What do you clean first? Oh, easy. My car. I just feel if you're gonna be around people, that would be the that'd be that's the first place. Do you have a favorite tune? You know what? That's interesting. You should ask that. I, you know what? I've always been a real rock and roll guy, and I've always been a real uh, fan of uh, Canadian rock and roll. We've had so many great bands over the years, and and continue to have that. I'd say my favorite song is by a Canadian group called Steppenwolf, and it's called Magic Carpet Ride. Oh yeah, that's an old rock and roll song, Steppenwolf. Oh my gosh, Magic Carpet Ride! You just took me way back. Holy cow! <laughs> that was the. <laughs> and you know what? No one's ever done that song again. You think about all the old rock and roll songs. Somebody's actually redone the redone it. I don't know why no one has ever not come out with another version. 
you know, it's, it's like Lenny Kravitz came out with American Woman by the a great Canadian band, the Guess Who. Sure, right? yeah. Like, okay, there you go, Patrick. I, I don't know if you play an instrument, but... No, I don't. Gosh, I can't even play the radio. But... <laughs> favorite movie. Do you have a favorite movie? I do. and uh, Most people probably have never heard of this movie, but it's called Finding Forrester. It stars Sean Connery and Rob Brown. And Sean Connery is uh, plays a a writer who writes one one great American novel, and it's uh, quite fascinating what uh, the the journey that that people try and put him on. If you get a chance to see that, watch that movie. What are you grateful for? You know what, Pat? We didn't talk much about it. Uh, I think I've I had mentioned I've I've run over fifty half marathons. It's my health for my family, not my health for me. Uh, you know what? My uh, my grandparents, they just weren't very active. And uh, I don't have that many memories. Uh, only my mother's mother was active. She she loved to hunt and fish and, and curl and stuff like that. And so guess who I remember the most? I remember that woman, uh, my, my, my mom's mother. Uh, and you know what? I, I'd like my... my uh, my grandchildren to remember an active, healthy guy that they actually got to do things with. And, you know, one of my goals is to have all of my grandchildren skiing with me in the, in the Rocky mountains and uh, helping them take up that sport. Yeah. You know, you make a great point and, and, you know, we, we need to be grateful for our health if we were healthy, but in that all is that your health for your family and, you staying healthy, you know, when I'm talking to some individuals who are struggling with health, weight, smoking, not smoking, all of the things that we go through, you know, I say, if you can't do it for yourself, think about doing it for your family and the longevity. Maybe that is a different way to, to shift your thinking so that well, you know what I it did? makes sense. You know what I did two nights ago? I, I took my bike over to my son's place and I took my, uh, two of his children and we went for a 10K bike ride um, along the river in St. Albert. Awesome. It was phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, you know what? That's what you want to be remembered for with your family. It is. Uh, in my mind, anyway. Yeah, Rick, I'm grateful today, of course, for having you on the show and uh, the time that you took to, uh, to join me here. Like you, I'm grateful for my health. And I'm grateful to have the opportunity to speak to RAIN members in this context get the diversity of who RAIN members are and, and investors and who people are in the community and what it takes to build a portfolio. And I really appreciate it. I'm grateful for you sharing your stories and your insights, your experience. Uh, that's what the community is about. And so thank you, Rick. No, Patrick, I thank you and I thank RAIN. It's just, uh, it continues to be a great experience for me and, and a great organization. And, and uh, I'd encourage anyone to get involved in investment real estate for sure. And you know what, Patrick, I don't, listen, investment real estate isn't the, the majority of, of, the, of our portfolio. It's part, and that's what I tr try and say to everyone, and that's how I, I would coach people too. Make it part of your investment portfolio, and, and you'll be happy, but make it part. Thanks, Rick, appreciate that, great guidance. Thanks, Patrick. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. 
If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.